And so now for those offers, those developers need to go back and look at the, the, the their profile, so their S-curve, which National Grid will have issued, which gives them this idea of a profile of risk. And they basically need the key things that they need to look at when their milestones are going to hit, whether, whether or not they think they can meet them, and if they were to not meet a milestone, what would be the cancellation charge at that date? You know, so I would be going through my S-curve with a highlighter to highlight what my liabilities would be at those milestone dates. And I suspect that will that will make people understand the risk of, you know, can they stick with their existing connection agreement or do they need to mod up because they, they, it's just too risky. Hello and welcome to the Connectology podcast. Here, Road Knight Taylor's influential team of elite connection specialists and their expert guests help you to better understand distribution and transmission network connections and how to acquire them faster, for less cost and at lower risk. Right, hi everybody. Um, we are talking about today uh, the snappily titled CMP376, which I understand is to do with transmission milestones. But uh, just very quickly to introduce who we've got in the room, we've got Pete Aston, Catherine Cleary, and, and I've been waiting for a very, very long time to say this, that we've got our fifth connectologist joining us for the first time, sat on Monday, and so this is his first podcast so welcome to Kyle Murchie. Thanks all. <laughs> cool excellent. A few words hopefully he'll um, have more to add. Um, good so uh, I, I have a list of uh, questions here and the first one was very obvious so CMP376 and I can't remember who actually is going to answer this but you know one of you have a go. Um, CMP376 what is it? I'm going to start on that one because the questions get harder. Uh, <laughs> Catherine and Kyle can answer the really hard ones. Um, it's, it's essentially the application of uh, milestones into transmission offers. So um, for, for a long time, transmission offers haven't really had milestones in them at all. They've sort of had guideline programs and such like, um, but uh, they've not had milestones that can be applied to them in, in order to sort of help terminate the offers uh, like they're having at dis- distribution. Um, so it, this is the introduction of milestones into transmission offers. And it cool. has been a long time coming. So yeah. you know, I think most of our listeners have probably heard the word CMP376 <laughs> over the last year quite a few times as that sort of code mod has gone gone through the process. It's definitely been on our grid news and views from time to time saying this is coming, this is coming, and now it's come. Yeah, I think that I, I was always, as a, as a layperson, really confused by the fact that at, at distribution you had to get letter of authority so that there was there were milestones very clear milestones at distribution and have been for a very long time and they were you know quite hard fought over and I was aware that there just wasn't that same level of milestoneage um, at transmission and it, it, it kind of feels maybe quite late that could have potentially happened a bit earlier. Well, yeah, there's a bit of history there because the proposal was when we introduced milestones at distribution, so those um, you know, M1, M2, so when you have to get your land rights, your planning consent um, and so on, at distribution level, the proposal was to introduce them at transmission as well. So that was um, it was part of the ENA Open Networks project. The TOs and GRID were involved in that, in that process. But I, I don't know if you want to speak to that, Pete, about the kind of outcome of that and yeah, how it, it backfired. Yeah, it, it did because... <laughs> You know, I think there was a realization quite a few years ago, and I'm struggling to remember exactly how many <laughs> uh, that there were 
needed to be milestones in transmission offers to to, to try and line up transmission distribution because there was you know lots of talk about and there always is about trying to align processes across transmission and distribution and this was one of them where distribution schemes had the milestones transmission uh, schemes didn't um so so it, it was essentially that there was an ENA open networks project that went hey let's just take all the distribution milestones extend them a little bit and then just apply them at transmission which is sort of what happened and then uh, and, they, and, they, and they consulted quite a lot about it we came they, up with concepts of um, yeah. cumulative delay oh, tolerance yeah. periods mm. which were different for different voltage levels there was there was a lot of thought mm. that went into it but ultimately when it then came out from the ESO and they tried to put that into people's connections agreements people might remember getting appendix Q's? Oh, thank you. I think it was Q's. Yeah, I was about to pick a random letter there. (laughs) Um, So they did try it, um, and and it was strongly contested by transmission customers. Well, the transmission customers went, this hasn't been through a cusk modification change process, so it's not sort of legal, and therefore we don't agree with it. Change change our offers, please. And so the... um, ESO had no choice but to sort of end up taking it out. So I think it ended up going into offers for a period of about what six months yeah. or something like that. And they then issued, yeah, they then they wrote to those customers and actually then they issued a public letter to say mm. we are, you know, yeah. if you've got one, ignore it. You know, we're not, it's not binding. We're going to go through a cusk process. We, we've dropped one and uh, CMP cusk modification exact uh, proposal. Uh, right. Okay. Good, I should know that, obviously. Um, sorry, I took us down a rabbit hole. There wasn't meant to. That wasn't a question. Oh, and, and by the way, I, I realised that I never actually introduced myself on these, so I probably should at some point. So I'll do it now. I'm Hugh Taylor. I'm CEO at Road Night Taylor. I'm nominally in charge, and I'm the layperson in the room. So there you go. Um, should I go back to the questions I'm meant to be asking? That was one of the questions. That was one of the questions. I think it was great. I think it was great. We've, we've jumped in because... Oh, I went early. No, and and early, I, think, yeah. I think it's an excellent... How did we get here? It's an yeah. excellent introduction to the subject. Good, excellent. So I haven't wasted any time. I might actually ask Kyle this, put mm. him on the spot. and, and <laughs> um, who, <clears throat> who does it affect? So it impacts um, anybody who's effectively in the queue at the moment that has a, a signed offer um, and anybody that's going to be putting a new application in as well. So there was quite a lot of um, discussion and contention over how it would be applied, whether it would be applied to those, um, you'd be applied retrospectively to those that were already uh, in contract. And I would say that actually in the last six months, there's been a lot of rapid progression. It's taken a long time, as Rupert said, to get to that point. It did feel as if it was a little bit cyclic with a number of different um, 12 oh, vari- different variations on the same a, theme. They're called Wackhams. And what does a Wackham stand for? It's a work group alternative. I don't even know what the C is, actually. <laughs> I, mean, I thought um, it was maybe like slang for like a Wackham model. No, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's an acronym. W A C M. They're alternative yeah. work for, group proposals. options within the customer mod proposal. We'll have to get someone from one of the gas groups now to tell us what the what does a Wacom actually stand for um but they're alternative proposals so so the working group can say yeah thanks very much original proposer but actually we think if we tweaked your suggestion in a couple of ways it's a very democratic process um altering the cusk you then do get really big differences between some of them some were really specifically driven by the tos you could see they were driven by specific tos because their aim was to try to remove Kind of blockers and barriers in the queue, which is which is a good thing, yeah. right? That's, yeah. But then you also had a number of different kind of 
customer groups from from various different sizes and, and backgrounds and they would have quite different views so they wouldn't necessarily be against the concept because i think most developers understand that if we're continuing the situation we're in you're just not going to get to building out proper projects so there doesn't need to be a process but at the same time uh it's got to be something that's palatable for all so the original um was quite clear but effectively the the variation that's been selected and the off-gems uh, uh, agreed to is effectively the original, but also applied to to those retrospective customers. So yeah. that does mean that anybody with a connection contract will either have milestones applied or they'll have the opportunity to go and put a modification application in uh, over a six-month period to then make their change. But once the change is made, that's the, the, the kind of hand showing and, and that will have then have an impact on, on what milestones are delivered. Yeah, and that, that sounds really, I mean, cool that you can apply um, retrospectively and uh, kind of I've never imagined that, that would happen, but I imagine that in order to be able to do that, that it must be relatively watered down, weaker than, than it might have been. Is that... Uh... So transmission the, the transmission milestones which have been applied, which I think this is probably fre- relatively well understood now, but they are not the same milestones that we use at distribution. So it, it doesn't take your accepted contracted date um, when you accepted your offer and just say within six months you must have uh, you know, submitted your planning permission. It works backwards from your connection date. And that's really important because if you're a nuclear power station, you might apply to National Grid and say, I would like to connect in 15 years time, please, because it can take me that long to find a site you know like do my like compulsory purchase of the land and things like that you know you've got mammoth time frames for everything so if someone comes back and says here's your offer but by the way you've got to have planning permission within two years you know it, <laughs> it's ludicrous so yeah. um so so instead they work backwards from connection dates which is and that was some, something which was kind of fleshed out with with the transmission um industry um and that but that does mean hugh it's, it's not a kind of I wouldn't necessarily say it's watered down, but it's a more pragmatic view to approach those really large connections. What it does mean is when you're applying it to the queue, the the existing queue, it's not going to have an immediate impact. So if you look at the queue we currently have today, I ran some numbers because I thought you were going to ask this question, um, (laughs) uh, about, um, so... The majority of the queue, uh, over over seventy five percent of the queue, will have no milestones that apply for at least a year. So everyone's got at least, nearly everyone has got about a year to go away and you know sort out things like you know their actual land agreements, you know, and going into planning, which are going to be the first sort of two milestones that they hit. Um, half the queue don't have any milestones until uh 2026 and beyond so that's you know sort of three three years so we're not going to see kind of an immediate thinning out of the queue as a result of applying these milestones and i have heard from at least one developer who's gone this hasn't been sort of harsh enough and this was coming from a developer um to going you know that they'd have really liked to have seen like a land rights milestone apply from from the date of acceptance and, and work you know forwards a, a couple of years because that really puts the pressure on the more speculative applications that might be in the pipeline. You know, I'm hearing some developers saying it should have been gone further and, and have been a bit harsher, which is interesting. Yeah, so, I guess the pipeline we currently have, the problem is this sort of like 480 gigawatts or so we've got in the queue, you know, there is a huge amount of onshore 
battery storage, which is relatively, you know, rapid to kind of go through that development process. Um, but you've still got people in the queue who would struggle to go through that process. You know, you've still got to come up with something which is fair and works for, you know, an offshore wind farm, you know, that that theoretical kind of new nuclear plant. You can't. And, and, and I think the problem we have is that historically, if you asked for a connection date, 15 years ahead, you got a connection date 15 years ahead. If you asked for a connection date in five years' time, you, you normally got one in five years' time. You know, if we were to sort of rewind to the world of sort of 2016, 2017, 2018. Um, now we've got projects that could move fast, but have been given late connection dates in the 2030s. And now with these queue milestones, there is no impetus for those projects to move fast because actually they're, if their connection date's after... Uh, 2032 they won't have any milestones um until well yeah so uh, about sort of 20 percent of this queue have no milestones until after 2030 um so for them they might as well just sort of sit on their hands and um you know this alone isn't going to be enough to weed those speculative projects out of the queue but those those that do have um only a year to get their first milestones in place which is land rights yeah land, land rights and then planning submission and, and then there's three years if if you're sitting on a project and it looks like that might actually be a struggle but might there be an argument for having another tech amnesty now that this is in place and and it might potentially be more effective so so kyle mentioned that everyone's being given an option of if so we're about to put milestones retrospectively into everyone's offers if you're not going to be able to meet your milestones, you're being given this one-off option to mod app. So rather okay. than a tech amnesty, yeah. what you're being given the option of is to push your connection date back. Um, Pete and I were talking about this because it, there's a bit of a risk here, or quite a significant risk, that people might be saying, mm, I've got a 2029 date. Actually, that means I need to be in a position to be in planning within two years. I'm not going to meet that. I might, I might therefore need to mod app. Um, and the risk is that you mod app and your connection date might go from 2029 to 2036, 2038. Yeah. You know, it could be huge. And, and you're still carrying that risk, but but it would have the impact of getting other people forward in the queue because you'd be swapping places, right? It's a difficult one. It's, yeah, yeah I, I'm not sure it necessarily quite works like that. You'd be giving the... Yeah, so you're not swapping places, to be clear, because that that there is a very different proposal that actually the ESO have come up with as part of their um, their final recommendations on connections reform. I think we're going to cover that in news and views, maybe. But um, there is a proposal for maybe doing some kind of place swapping. So not a tech amnesty, but a queue position swap option where you'd kind of take someone else's connection date and take their higher liabilities, their higher risky milestone profiles right. and swap. Um, but that's not, that, that is still just an idea on the table. <laughs> this, the proposal with milestones, is basically to incentivise people to have, to get more realistic connection dates into their offers and to be able to give um, NGSO the teeth to be able to just terminate contracts where you miss that milestone. So there's a really clear, you know, they don't want to give people a tech amnesty in some ways because a tech amnesty gives you the option for giving up your, your tech for free. This is going to be a penalty. This is going to be, if you miss your milestone, we will terminate your connection agreement and you will have to pay us your cancellation charges. Mm. So these projects, there is a there is a significant negative impact, you know, and uh, there's a lot of stick here and not a lot of carrot, you know, if you yeah. miss a milestone. But I'd also say that... Um, the tech amnesty process. I've heard other people saying, why can't we have a regular tech amnesty process? But basically, a regular tech amnesty process just means you're completely changing the way cancellation liabilities are applied because, um, you know, it's, you'd, you'd have to screw up 
another CMP, CMP 192, around um, how you know liabilities are applied, which which might actually be a sensible thing because it probably doesn't work very well at the moment. Um, yeah, <laughs> but that's that's a different. That's another that's podcast. Different <laughs> podcast. <laughs> But yeah, there needs to be tech, tech amnesties. You know, they remove that that stick bit. They don't punish people for having stayed in the queue, and then they give them this kind of free option to get out. You know, whereas the idea of kind of user commitment and uh, transmission cancellation charges are that there's a penalty for if you stay in the queue and your project's not actually going anywhere. If it's a you know zombie project in inverted <laughs> commas, or I think um, I think we should uh, we probably need to give Regen a credit for sleeper projects as, sleeper. A, as a good yeah. term. You know, projects which are just they're not necessarily entirely fictional. They're just not moving forwards they're staying in that grid queue right at the back i like that sleeper i must say the zombie project thing that that's never really worked for me but um so should we take a break i hope you're really enjoying this episode so far and are gaining a lot of very useful insight if you're a new listener i hope that you'll feel like you might come back if so make sure you hit the follow button and feel free to sign up to our newsletter the connectologist at roadnighttaylor.co.uk so you don't miss out on any of the podcast webinars case studies thought pieces and explainers great welcome back <laughs> right what are the penalties so you know if i miss my land rights milestone in a year's time and what's what's that going to mean to me yeah so for the, for the first three milestones which interestingly are numbered slightly the wrong way around so the land milestone is actually milestone number three okay but it, so it comes, comes first, first. yes <laughs> oh because we're working backwards from no 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 oh, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> they just put just, it in the list in the funny order yeah, yeah. m3 comes first then m1 yeah. and then m2 it's, it's just because they try to align it as closely as possible with the distribution milestones so although as Catherine's rightly said they're quite different in reality in terms of the dates that sit behind them the actual names are the same so for example milestone four doesn't actually apply to transmission assets either um, so it's only one, two, three are the first initial set of milestones that you could be more concerned about. And then it's five onwards, but four doesn't apply to transmission assets and three comes before one. Oh, so God. A little bit of a really crazy. I think the very night lately, just looking at Hugh's face, I think, I think <laughs> our recommend, strong recommendation, don't uh, ignore the milestone numbers. Ignore the numbers. Okay, just, okay, cool. Just call just them land rights, yeah. planning submission, okay, planning consent. Everyone brilliant. knows what that means. So I miss land rights, which is cut. Which is the one I'm most worried about because it happens in a year's time, let's say. So at this moment in time, based on the, the rules that we applied, termination of the contract. So the first um, three, so therefore your land rights, your submission of your planning and your uh, gaining the planning consent, all three of those could lead to automatic termination if you weren't to meet those milestone dates. Um, there is a little bit of of kind of wiggle room because there is you know you've got your date and then you've got the date and the time between that date and any termination offer being processed. I think it's sixty days. It's isn't sixty it? days, yeah. So there is a sixty day. And you can appeal with a list periods. of, ex- there are a list, a specified list, I think there's only five, um, exemptions, yes. um, but they are really quite specific. So, you know, it's like a force majeure or something like that. You know, it would be as if you're going to your insurance yeah. company and but having to... I think if if any developers are used to distribution milestones being applied... Or not. Or, or not <laughs> applied. I think this <laughs> well, is the point. Yeah. That yeah. Distribution, are, this is very Distribution different. milestones have always been a little bit sort of down to the discretion of the planners or the... 
you know, managers in the connections teams or whatever. And there's often been a dialogue, a conversation. Well, yeah, we're going to submit planning soon. <laughs> Honest. Um, and then six months and the, later, and the plan we're going to well, submit planning soon. At least soon. you replied to my email. You know, I've got <laughs> yeah. two customers who didn't. So, so that's it's a... been pretty sort of casual, the way milestones are applied at distribution. But I don't think that that's going to be the case with the way ESO applies the milestones. So, yes, yeah, so those first three, automatic termination of your construction agreement. Um, so it's just worth perhaps making that differentiation that you you contract with the ESO, you have a connection agreement, your BCA and a construction agreement. The construction agreement is basically effectively saying, you know, we're going to build this in this year, we're going to give you this bay of this substation um, and, uh, and this is how much tech you're going to have and so on. So it's basically kind of cancelling the we're going to build stuff and then cancelling down your tech. Uh, you, you could actually then kind of, you could sort of stay in contract and kind of go back, back in again. Um, but as you say, we would have had this penalty in terms of having to pay cancellation charges okay so that's the cancel so if, if I, my if my uh, contract is cancelled i've missed my opportunity i've got all of those sunk costs in terms of that development risk capital so what about those um cancellation charges how how does that work so they are applied in full um, and this this is quite punchy right because um you know, you might sort of say, well, if these projects kind of haven't gone anywhere, then maybe the, you know, the TO hasn't spent much. So um, securities and liabilities, which we've probably got some um, explainers and webinars on, on our podcast, we can put some links in the chat. Um, but effectively, uh, depending on where you are on that sort of um, securities and liabilities profile, um, you will have um, either be securing, so you'll be paying a cash security or giving a letter of credit. Um, you'll either be securing all of your liability or a proportion of your liability. So, and that changes at a point called trigger date, so about four years before your connection. If you, so, if you're more than four years before your connection and your offer gets cancelled down, um, National Grid will just say thank you very much. We're going to bank that money that you gave us as cash security. That's your that's your penalty. Um, goodbye. We've terminated your contract. If you are less than four years. Uh, to connection, then actually it's 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 worse than that. They will say um, because you'll only have been securing a proportion of your total liability. They will say thanks very much for all the cash we've got in the bank. We're going to take that, and now we're going to invoice you for the remaining. And it'll no. either be another forty eight percent, sorry fifty eight percent, because you'll you'll have been securing forty two percent. So they'll invoice you for the remainder. Or or if you if you were quite close and you actually got consent and you terminated a project late in the day, um, you would only have been securing ten percent. So they will come back and invoice you for ninety percent of that. That's the point at which you know there is historic precedent of uh, you know the generating asset or whatever essentially folding. You know because they had they 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 paid the two million pounds and someone comes back and says yeah great now we need the the other eighteen. Uh, million and they go actually we haven't got 18 million pounds worth of cash um we're we're now a we're now a bankrupt asset yeah. wow. um, so, so there are serious penalties um it went once cancellation charges are applied in full wow. i think for a lot of individual you know a lot of developers they, they see the the initial impact of losing the right to you know the construction that element and and therefore their their ability to actually connect but it's it's that secondary impact that's mm. then probably going to be the the more critical way, so actually. you know d developers are really going to go and need to look at their cancellation profile because you know it, it does change over time and it, it generally ramps up the closer you get towards connecting so so it's trying to work out you know what does that profile look like and and every scheme is different isn't it so some yeah, schemes I the cancellation charges for for the scheme are, are not well, sometimes it's zero. It's you huge. might you you might be sitting on for, schemes for where you have them, no liability for for several for years. For some of them, they're tens and tens and tens, or if not hundreds of millions. Yeah. <laughs> Even if they've started small, so th th there's lots of schemes where developers have accepted the offers because 
initial securities and cancellation liabilities are zero or yeah. or next to zero, but they very quickly ramp up. And so now for those offers, those developers need to go back and look at the, the, the their profile, so their S-curve, which National Grid will have issued, which gives them this idea of profile of risk. And they basically need to, the key things that they need to look at when their milestones are going to hit, whether, whether or not they think they can meet them, and if they were to not meet a milestone, what would be the cancellation charge at that date? You know, So I would be going through my S-curve with a highlighter to highlight what my liabilities would be at those milestone dates. And I suspect that will make people understand the risk of, you know, can they stick with their existing connection agreement or do they need to mod up because they, they, it's just too risky? You know, if I've got a planning date that I think there's a 50% chance of me missing and I've got five million pounds of liability by that point i'd, I'd be more dapping <laughs> yeah uh, i was just gonna ask Catherine and kyle perhaps a point of detail if you mod app before the trigger date that pushes the trigger date back doesn't it it does yeah this is a, this is a point from um so, and, and the trigger date being to do with your securities and liabilities your cancellation charges yeah. not to do with milestones yes if you mod app after your trigger date yeah. that does not change you can never uh, untrigger once you've triggered a project. Um, yes, yeah, so, so, importantly, it's not that you've submitted the mod app. You must have accepted the yeah. modified offer before the trigger date. So that, yeah, it, that's, that's a point of detail. But I think that's really important because you know, if you know that, that if you've gone over that trigger date, it's a bit of a point of no return to to then yeah. being able to yeah you know, go back to sort of a different levels and of securities and cancellation charges. And I think, and I mean, we say this a lot, but it is important to stress that this 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 kind of initial period where National Grid is saying, and to be really clear, it is six months for everyone who's getting... From the 27th of November. Fr- from the 27th of November. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Pete. Um, so the clock is ticking um, to get mod apps in if you want to move your milestones. After that period of time, after that six-month period of time, you know, for, with the best will in the world, something can have changed in your project and you can think, gosh, we're radically not going to meet these dates anymore. I want to mod app. And that will have no impact on your milestones. So you can still mod app. You can still mod app. You can still move out your connection date. But you're still at risk of termination yeah. if you don't get that planning or if you don't get so yeah. so that, that that's why these have to be robust dates that you can meet. You know, you'd want there to be a little bit of slack in that program. And how do you calculate? Because you said you need to work out when your milestones actually apply, when they hit. How do you go about that, Kyle? What what's yeah. your... so it's it does vary depending on exactly when your connection date is, so how far away you are from from that particular date. Um, and then effectively, I think there is a an ESO calculator. There is a calculator. Yeah. It's a bit broken actually, but um, but it's. Uh, Can we link to that? Yeah, let's link to that. Okay, we'll link yeah. to that in the whatever the, the description. But, but you just you just literally work back from your your connection from date. So yeah. And, and just whilst we're talking about the Marsan calculator, what what other resources? Because the ESO have, have got, you said, workshops and guides. Yes. So what other resources can we uh, point That's really about? important, actually. So the ESO are doing as much as possible to, to make this clearer for people. Um, there are, they're hosting a whole load of webinars. Um, so there are a couple that have already happened. You can watch those on the ESO's website. Um, there's one that's happening next week. There is one in January um, as well. So I think that's the last one. Okay, um, we'll get the date and we'll put that in the yeah, description exactly. as well. Yeah, exactly. So, um, uh, and, um, you know, there's a lot of kind of, uh, as I say, there's some guidance that the ESO have put out. We can link to that. Um, and ultimately, because these are fairly generic questions, your customer account manager will know the answer to when your milestones are. That's an easy question you can ask them. Um, so if all of those resources fail, then email your cam. Cool. Um, I, I have done so badly in terms of uh, sort of jumping around and not actually answering the questions on there. So you can just tell me if we've already covered these. Um, we've got what are the strengths and what are the weaknesses 
of CMP376? Well, I think mm. the strength is this automatic termination, you know, no faffing, none of this kind of deliberation on those first three milestones. I think we picked up on one of the weaknesses that maybe it doesn't give enough impetus for some projects to, to be picking up on milestones sort of early on. If you don't have milestones kicking in for four or five years from now, then it still is not going to clear out the queue. So I, I think that was the point Catherine was making earlier, that one of the weaknesses, it still doesn't quite have the teeth to, to clear out the queue in, in the way that... In a timely manner. I mean, I think manner. this could help but clear the queue, but it'll take four years to do yeah. it. Because if you if you take your if you're if you're already contracting, you take your construction agreement now and look at the appendices and your user requirements. If you did a comparison between your user requirements and what you're going to get in terms of milestones, and okay, the terminology is slightly different, but generally the you know there's a lot of alignment there. They're going to be quite different. Your user requirements are generally. I've looked at maybe about ten applications that are kind of similar to this, where the user requirements would be much earlier. Now, okay, they're not contractually bound, but from a contract manager perspective um, within a developer, you could easily go, well, hold on, actually, this is better. These milestones are actually at better dates than, than my user requirements. But the danger is then that when you, if, you, if you leave it like that and then don't focus on how you're going to get to those, user, yeah, those um, milestones in the future, then that's where time quite quickly runs out because, as we know, for a lot of these big projects, it can take a long time to get, get through planning um, as Catherine said, there were, are some exceptions. So if, for example, planning is delayed and it's out with your control, then there's you know, a, a potential ability there to, uh, to kind of make that case. But they are but quite specific. They are quite specific. Yeah. So I think you know the example would be sort of if the if the if your planning result was called in for like a judicial review or something that would be outside your control. It would be a you know a, a, from a planning perspective it would be a legal question about whether the right process had been followed. If your planning was you know uh, if your decision was delayed because you hadn't done the right bird surveys, yes. that's just your fault. That's you messed yeah. up. You know, <laughs> yeah. and, and there's not going to be any leeway for that. So so actually credibly meeting those dates and doing your best efforts, I agree, yeah. is, is really quite key from a developer perspective. And one the question I've had on quite a few occasions is, well, what if it's kind of under this kind of force majeure sort of concept. What if your contractor was delayed due to, you know, they're, therefore they're the unforeseen event. So you're already to go as a developer, but your contractor is delayed because of resource or whatever it happens to be. But that would not be seen as force majeure. I was going to say, no, legally that, speaking, that, that's would not be, a, that would be a get out of jail because free it's, card. Yeah, that because it's your, because yeah. it's, you've contracted with that particular party mm. and that particular party is not actually contracted um, to, to the ESO or the TOs. So in that particular case, um, yeah, as you said, it would, it, would, it would effectively open up the doors. So it's going to be really quite specific and, and therefore genuinely circumstances that are out with your control. There is, there is an exception, which is probably going to become relevant as we get to later milestones, which is that if the delay is caused by the TO or the ESO, yes. you are exempt. <laughs> um, so <laughs> so that, that is probably something we are going to see needing to be discussed once we get into kind of construction um, of some of these assets, because um, or even even consenting the, 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 the TO substations, you know, that there are I don't definitely think that, some I don't delay think that ESO pays a cancellation charge to themselves. No, they don't. Okay. So I don't think they, they don't have to or, worry or about to it. The developer. Quite correct. Actually, it's a good point. One thing we've not really covered because we focus really on the first three milestones, but actually on those later milestones, it's not the exact same situation. It's not automatic kind of termination with a few uh, exceptions. There is more of a bilateral conversation at that particular point in time. So it would still be expected you have to bring a lot of evidence on why certain things have not happened on time, Um, but 
it, it does open itself up to a bit more bilateral conversation. More like more like at distribution. Yeah. Like so the that, wording yeah. is that the, the ESA would have the if you miss a milestone, the later the later three milestones, if you miss, um, the ESA would have the right <coughs> to terminate. Whereas the ESA effectively has an obligation to terminate yeah. in the event of missing the first three milestones. Oh, right. Okay. So it, that it, is, it is written yeah. that the, the ESO will automatically terminate unless one of these exemption criteria is met. So that it, it, that is really quite different, isn't it? Can you? You're going to have this wave of modification applications on the on the transmission side for various different reasons, whether it's queue management um, or a number of the other changes that are kind of following through as well. So, um, yeah, it's going to be quite a, a yeah, busy I mean, period. The ESO are going to have a wave stuff. of variation agreements to issue in Q1 yes. next year. <laughs> yeah. An absolute tsunami because they're going to have to vary everyone's agreements to put milestones in. Um, and that's whilst they're, they're doing everything that they are with these two-stage offers. Exactly. I mean, they're, they're, they're busy people, right? Yes, we, they yeah. are very busy Do people. Do we feel for them? We definitely Absolutely. feel for them. And I think it's probably worth putting a plug out for the fact that... Um, so Pete mentioned that this came in on the 27th of November. Um, so if you are applying to the ESO now, if anyone's still actually submitting transmission applications, not sure that we advise that, but um, if they are, then um, you you actually have a customer choice. If you're applying now, you will get a single, even if you're in England and Wales, you'll get a normal offer. So you won't go through the two-step process anymore. You'll get a full offer. You have a choice. You can either ask for that full offer to come out with the milestones already in it or just to make things fair because there are customers at the moment who will have offers that don't have those milestones in and they've got up to six months from the 27th of November to mod app those, you are allowed to not have your initial offer have the milestones in, but you would have to get an agreement to vary within the, the, the following three months. Um, so the ESO kind of put out, it's a common sense request really, get the milestones in your original offer. It just saves you having to have a variation agreement, saves them some extra paperwork. You're not going to gain anything. They're still going to be the same milestones. Um, so I think that's just worth bearing in mind. If you're applying now, have that conversation up front and just say, yeah, happy for the milestones to go in originally cool great thank you um all of you um how do we think uh, kyle performed oh, i think we'll <laughs> let him come again <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. well in fact you're recording Please a do. grid news and views this afternoon so um i'm looking forward to listening to that because I, I shan't be on obviously um thank you all three of you um that was great hopefully um it's been good for people out there thank you people out there for taking the time to listen cheers bye cheers, thanks all thank bye. you bye, bye. Thank you for taking your precious time to listen to this episode. Now, not everyone is ready to have a connectologist in their life. For others, it's just too expensive. And as our team is so small, we do have to be very selective in what work we take on. And that's why we put so much effort into these shows. We want our society to have the equitable energy system it needs in order to decarbonise and to thrive. So we want to help to topple as many connections barriers as we possibly can, in spite of our size. So please do feel free to ping a link to this episode to anyone you know who might be interested, because it would mean so much to everyone here.